Welcome to Unstructured Unlocked. A podcast where listeners discover how enterprise leaders are confidently automating document intake and accelerating their workflows to increase capacity and drive top-line revenue. I'm co-host Michelle Govea. And I'm co-host Chris Wells. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, welcome to another episode of Unstructured Unlocked. I am co-host Chris Wells, and today I'm joined by co-host Michelle Govea. Michelle, hi. Hello. And we are both pleased to be inviting uh, Brandy Corbello here, um, who is SVP of Global Delivery at our very own Indico Data. Brandy, thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, we'll see how excited you are when we're done. <laughs> Let's give it a shot. Uh, why don't you Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about um, your background, how you ended up where you are, and what it is that you do now? Yeah, definitely. Um, so background uh, came from management consulting, really like around the transformation space for large corporations or enterprises. Um, from there, I actually took on a transformation role at Cushman and Wakefield, where I actually led up standing up their transformation office, which was really exciting and really was consumed of things like machine learning, analytics, as well as like org redesign and change management. Um, and then I ended up at Indico Data, uh, how I was actually a customer. Um, so I was really excited to see really like the trifecta, of you, if you will, of like what comes together with transformation, because there's consulting, implementation, there's like being on like the enterprise side, but then there's also products that like enable all of those things. So for me, it was just like rounding myself out a little bit to start. And I believed in the product. Um, what I do here is I really focus on our customer journey. So think about the point in time where you're deep in evaluation of our product or a product. So really thinking about a proof of concept and like purchasing like Indico, that's really where I start, right? So you're deep in that evaluation. And then our professional services team, which helps with implementation, works with our partners on enablement, our customers, and then customer success. So really like through your lifetime, like with Indico. Great. And that sets up really nicely the topic for today, which is essentially all things metrics uh, around solutions like ours, but also more generally, just uh, as we're thinking about large companies like insurers onboarding new platforms, new processes. Um, I'd love to hear about uh, what you've learned in doing all of that delivery. Like, what is that customer journey when you're onboarding a new tool or platform? Yeah, I think, you know, like, taking my Indico hat off, right? And like putting like my former like customer hat on, it's really important to understand like first, like what problem are we solving? And does that align to the strategic objectives of our organization, right? So like, or are we just solving like an acute problem, right? Cause like, if that's the case then you might wanna like think about it a little bit more broadly. So I think, you know, I always encourage people to take a step back. What problem are we solving and how does that line up with the strategic objectives of our corporation, our enterprise, right? And then you say, okay, well, what, what exactly would happen if I solved that problem, right? Like what impact could it have if I was able to get rid of that problem? And then you start saying, okay, well, it looks like I really need something that could do X, Y, Z thing, right? So like whatever that thing is, then you would start going out to the market to say, well, what technology's out there, right? And it's really important to say, like define what success looks like when you're starting to evaluate those technologies versus just scanning the market. Like, what do I need? Like, what are my actual requirements to solve this problem? And 
how am I going to evaluate that from like a success criteria perspective? So can I, before we, yeah, it it does. I want to pull a thread before we jump into um, the definition of success and how you measure things. Um, I've bought a number of different software tools in a number of different contexts. Talk to me about going out to the market because that's that's a tricky thing in B2B um, by software. Yeah. yeah, totally. You know, I think like, um, like I think about my consulting hat as well as my customer hat, like pr- prior to being at Indico. And I think a lot of times like we hear like there's this like hot new technology out there, right? And it's like, oh, I must go see this. And then you're like really trying to like force the technology versus like really understanding like, what is it that I like actually need? Right. I don't know if that answers your question. It it does. It answers it at a at a good, I would say like the 30,000 foot view and like yeah. defining what it is you're trying to buy. You know, build the right shopping list before you go to the grocery store. Yeah, but like totally. how do you even where do you go to source like these are the potential potential solutions and like sift through them? So I think a lot of times, like one, like I always went out to analyst reports to start, right? So like Gartner was like one I always followed. So I always went out to analysts to say like for Everest, um, there's like many out there, but I typically went out to analysts to see like, hey, what's out there knowing like what I needed. I think you always have to know what you need because they have reports across like a breadth of technologies and they're very like specific, right? So like categories. So usually I go to analysts. Typically I would talk to peers as well, or I would talk to like any like um, SI that we had in house at the time to help like have them help me understand like what's out there, what type of tools could help me solve this or help us solve this in order to like then go scan the market appropriately. Yeah, yeah, that's so that's actually that answer is is really interesting, Brandon. Talks a little bit about what what we do at Sandbox as part of our day-to-day job of um, there, there's two ways that we source companies, meaning go out and find companies that we may want to pursue an investment in. It's what is the technology that that you have, right? And is it a technology that is adaptable to, in, in our area of focus, the insurance industry, right? And as a result, what can that technology deliver? to our partners or our investors, which are, you know, incumbents in the insurance industry. Alternatively, it's we talk to our investors and they say, we have this pain point that we are trying to solve. This is what we've looked at. This is what they can do, What where they fall short. We're really looking for this capability. And then that in turn is how how we frame some of our questions or some of the, the research that, that you just talked about, right? You go out to analyst reports, we we go out to conferences, we look at different reports, different hot lists of you know top 100 companies or top AI capability, things like that, and look for companies that we think fit the criteria and then really do a deep dive to say, um, what is the business outcome that you help your customers achieve? Uh, and then, you know, you keep working through through those questions and those different iterations of and meetings to say that this company can is responsive to what I'm trying to do. Now, how do we go and pilot that or implement that and then measure the success of that um, on the back end? So I think it's very similar to the, the B2B sales side and kind of the let's go find something to invest in. That makes sense. Yeah. You all, you know, it's like interesting. I think a lot of people, um, they don't get to see like 
the VC space or like the investment side, right? So like if you all think about like business outcome, like are there certain like like thresholds that you all set? Like we're good with these types of outcomes, but if they don't meet like our criteria, then we have to walk away. Like how do you all think about that? Well, so when you're talking about what is the business outcome that the company delivers for their customer, really what what we care about is that they are successful in delivering what they promised to their customer, right? That's the metric that that we care about is um, is there opportunity for growth, right? Like, and we could we do a whole deep dive on like VC space and all the things we consider when we're looking at an investment. But I think what you're getting at is um, I, this is a broad generalization, and people are probably going to like come from me like that's that's not an accurate statement, but we it's less about what is the business outcome that you drive that we care about. We care more about the fact that you drive the business outcome that the customer or our investor is seeking. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so, cause we invest in a variety of different companies. Some are in the automation space, some are in the data space, some are in the product distribution or product development space. So it's, it's different things that our investors and the industry is looking for. And so we really care about, are you responsive to what we're seeing the industry needs? regardless of what that outcome would be. Yeah. Do you all think about that? So, you know, like just like thinking about like our customer journey, right. It's all around, like they, like we talk about like land and expand. Right. And also for our customers, it's the same thing, right. They're able to like land the technology and they're able to like expand it across the organization and see like adoption. Right. So like, is that something you all think about as well? It's not just about like acquiring the customer, but it's also ensuring that, that customer continues to be happy and is like sticky, like with you. Absolutely. Great. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. I think that's a good segue back to the point at which I derailed Brandy's train of thought. Um, So you were talking about identifying the business outcomes you're looking for and made me wonder, how do you go from like a very high level outcome? Like, you know, we want to, we want to improve the speed of quoting to binding insurance to like an early indicator of, okay, we've had this thing installed for three months. Is it doing what we think it's doing? Like, how do you, how do you, you know, what are the sort of stages along the way of getting to that measuring that high level outcome? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you know, like advice I always like give people is one, like when you're, evaluating like technology you have to have a high level business case so to your point Wells, like you're really at that thirty thousand foot and it's like i think that it can drive this right like you're making a, a, a hypothesis and you're going with those assumptions right because you can show those assumptions based on like actual data that's flowing through your ecosystem yeah. but what's really important is <clears throat> now that you've implemented it how do you think about like capturing that value right so like you made a hypothesis early on which is what influenced you to make that technology purchasing decision um now how do you capture that value i think one thing that you usually see that's missed is like baselining those metrics before you even implement so you actually have to baseline like what are we going to measure and how are we going to measure it and you have to do that before you start implementing the technology or anything that's like net new, even if it's just an org change, right? Because then how will you know like what you actually did? So I think that's always an important part. And then you implement, you now have your baseline metrics, you know how you're gonna measure yourself. So then you can always go back to say, did we see the change that we thought we would, yes or no, right? And sometimes your hypothesis could be um, a little 
too exciting, right? And you might say, but we still were able to capture significant amount of value and we still have a healthy business case and we'll continue to capture value. Now, once that's in place and you know, like you're in production and you're like, you're really running smooth, right? Then the question starts to become, well, what, what are we not getting to that we could be getting to, right? Because what you do on day one is like what you were doing on day zero, but you just made it better. So now it's, are we able to get to more than we were able to previously? And if the answer is yes, then you start really like working those things and start thinking about what else could I do from an operational standpoint, but also what else could I do from like a value to the organization, right? Could I generate revenue? Could I create like products embedded in my services? If so, what does that look like and how do I unlock that? Interesting. The, um, the physicist in me has to ask, since a large enterprise organization is pretty much the opposite of a clean laboratory, um, how do you sort out like, okay, you've got your baseline, but now I'm running this. How do you sort out things like, oh, it was just, you know, a change in the market happened to coincide when we turned this thing on. And that's, you know, that's changing the metric. Like, how do you have those conversations, especially with the business leaders who are asking the question? Well, I think that's where the like, I think a lot of times people are really focused on like a hard metric, right? They're focused on like total revenue dollars or total cost dollars, right? Versus like really talking about, well, like what scale or velocity have we created with this thing? Meaning like, even if the market has a downturn, are we seeing higher margins? If that's the case, then you know you put something in place that can scale or flex, like depending on what's going on with the market or any impact to your business. Yeah. So I, I think what you're saying is start with the high level, but you really need to drill down deep to understand like how this new widget connects with the business process and the rest of the environment. Like you have to think yeah. more carefully than just the number. Yeah, exactly. Brandy, how how often or, or has it happened where you, you go into an engagement and that prospective customer says like, th this is the output we want. And, and in your experience and with, with maybe other customers that have tried to implement something similar, do, are there any points where you go, we can do that, but that's not really the metric you should be using or that you should care about. Like really, this is what we can help you drive. Like how do those conversations go? Yeah, I think that probably happens 90% of the time, right? Um, people come in like, and I'll use like Indico or AI, is that, AI in general, right? Is actually really good. People will come in and they'll say accuracy. Like that's like the measure or the metric that they care about, right? And it's like, well, hold on a second. Like, like let's talk about accuracy, right? So it's like, what does accuracy mean to you? Because accuracy means different things. Like if I ask you, like, what rate of error you're comfortable with, Michelle, you might say, like, I'm okay with 2%. Walls might say, I'm okay with 5%. And I might say, I'm okay with 10%, right? But we all think that those things are accurate. So like, I think like, that's always the one that AI in general, not just at Indico, is like the one to talk about. because Accuracy is really like a definition, like in the eyes of the beholder, right? You're only as accurate as you want to be, and you're only as accurate as like you're teaching like the machine learning models to be, right? And so I think for us, it's usually like really like when we hear the word accuracy, it's a it's fine because that's what the market always says, but we really then start saying, like, well, what does that mean to you? Right? When you say accuracy, like what does that really mean? And then we start saying, 
but what business objectives are you trying to influence with accuracy, right? Because just being accurate with data, like what does that, does that drive revenue? Does that drive like higher margins? Like what are you trying to influence with accuracy? Because then let's talk about that. And that's really interesting too, because I think um, we, we've talked on previous episodes um, on how how accuracy may may have incremental improvements, right? Like you might have, depending on how, to your point, how you define it, bringing bringing in new data or automating some level may may reduce your error rate, right? From you know fifty percent, you might have now seventy percent accuracy. But then you say, okay, now with the seventy percent. Let's take a look at the data that's coming in. Is there a data point that is skewing this accuracy? And if we were to remove it and retrain the model, do we now have an, an improvement in that? And to your point, what does that drive downstream in terms of automating, you know, straight through processing from an underwriting standpoint, the decision making, what gets kicked out versus what what continues through, to, you know, the back end systems? Um, I think I think so. You're just hitting on something that we've chatted on before, but I think it's it's a really great point. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's like, I think we all get it, right? We all want our data to be accurate because it's going to influence decision-making, it's going to influence the business, it's going to influence the direction, it's going to influence the strategy, right? Because I think a lot of leaders are now, like, really leaning into their data to say, like, strategically, where should I be going? And, like, what's the data telling me? So, of course, you want it to be accurate. I think the biggest thing for us that we focus on with our customers now is, you know, the people who were your preparers are now your reviewers. So like, you're going to be just as accurate, if not more accurate than you were before, because you now have like double the review and you've like really been able to like capture like data like more efficiently. Right? Can we just talk about how almost no one knows how accurate they were before? Yeah, no, it's so true. We, um, we're having <laughs> this conversation with a few people right now, right? We're saying like, well, what was your error rate before? Right? Yeah, and it's crickets. Like, it's really tough though. And like, you can't blame them, right? They're, they're asking the right questions. I think it's just more like, well, as you and I have talked about this, we are harder like on like, AI technologies than we are on people. Absolutely. Like when I was a customer, my favorite thing, and like I will probably be called out for this as well. My favorite thing was when we were getting audited, like for like having like ML like embedded and like on top of our documents. The question I got asked by our auditors was, well, how do you know it can read right? And my question back was like, well, how do you know that like people can read right? Because like do you do like a literacy test every year to make sure that they have like adequate like reading yeah. levels? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what, uh, how do you know that people can read appropriately? And like, this is another thing nobody talks about is if you hire somebody to be on your accounting team or whatever team today, if you hire them today and you onboard them, you onboard them in your production environment. You're like, hey, here's what you do. Now go do it. Right. So it's like, there's this like, there's like this like stigma, like against like AI and like machine learning that I feel like we're still like working around. It's like, well, how do you know it can do that? How do you know it's accurate? Like same question back, right? And that's why typically when you ask a question, like, well, what's your baseline? They're like, well, we don't know. We only like, we only quality check 20% of our operations to date. And I'm like, okay, well, 
in the 20% that you quality checked, like how accurate was that? Right. And I think that's like, I think that's like the inflection point that we're at in the market and people, I think people are starting to understand it more, right. Which is like, okay, what you're saying is I can be just as accurate as I am today, if not better. Right. And I think that's like the best way to start describing it. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I had never thought about it from that, that lens brandy of being like when you hire someone new they're straight into the production environment like real repercussions for for mistakes as opposed to test environment and two or three or four versions of that of that testing before it gets implemented into production um i mean i mean and i've been in a role like that right where i've had to be trained to 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 do that work where my work got got qa'd and yeah that's there, there's there was always not in my work obviously but there's always errors <laughs> there's always errors like and the thing is is like people make errors right um technology makes errors right we're all just as good as like we have been taught to be or that we like are are okay with i guess is like the best way to describe that my cynical thought on this is that people are much less satisfied by yelling at a bot than they are. <laughs> I do think it's tough, right? Like it's definitely a transition in the workplace. And um, yeah, I, I definitely get it. I think just like Michelle, to your question, like these are the conversations we have with our customers, right? Like this is the, this is what you're trying to go after, but really like, what are you trying to drive and like how, like, are you thinking about the right way? And our biggest thing is like, how do we help you like educate like the broader organization or decision makers in like this like transformation or the change process that you're going through today? Because it's it's not just accuracy. Yeah. Yeah. I've said it all too many too, all too many to all together too many times on this podcast, which is that accuracy doesn't have any units and therefore is not yeah. quantity. You can't turn it into dollars or time. I think we're almost there. I think we're getting there. Yeah. So. But to but to your earlier point, the way that the accuracy gets turned into dollars or time for your organization is specific to your organization and what you do. And so you have to be very thoughtful about crafting those success criteria. Yeah. And like, again, like what what else can you light up that you weren't having access to prior to this? So let's. And Brandy, when, yeah, oh, sorry, Chris. I was going to say, when, when you when you think about that, is it is the approach usually that you go in trying to prove out one metric and then based on the results of that, then you can expand into others or various use cases, bring you different metrics that you care about, or is is the goal to prove as, as much positive outcome as you can. And so um, you, you want to try and you kind of succeed in as many this is a terribly worded question. Like, like, are you measure? How many things are you going into measure at a time to prove success in a pilot? Is I guess what what I'm trying to ask. Like, is it one thing? Is it one thing for for the customer? But you're trying to you know simultaneously prove two two or three things so that it's a better story. Yeah, typically for our customers, like we always like recommend like a pilot or an MVP to start, which is like what's the bare minimum that gets like you comfortable with like production right meaning like like submission use case um broker submissions is a really good example here like what are the bare minimum amount of fields you need in order to like clear that submission meaning like you're ready to quote it so like 
What do you need to clear it? Like how many fields, right? Typically we see 20 to 30. It depends on like, this is like, everybody's a little bit different, right? So we'll say 20 to 30 fields, that's it, right? Cause that's gonna like, at a minimum, you'll be able to go to production. You'll be able to clear submissions as they come in. Then you say, okay, now, now that you're in production, you can like clear these submissions. How many more fields does it take to actually like quote those submissions? Like what else do you need in order to quote that business? And then it's like typically another like 50 to 70 fields. So then you add those fields and you say, okay, now you can clear and quote anything that comes through from a submission standpoint. Then the next question that comes into play is that to me is like all required fields in like the operational process of broker submissions. But there is a ton of rich data sitting in those submissions, right? So the other thing too that we've seen with our insurance customers is if they didn't clear a submission or they rejected a submission, they kind of throw away that data. But that mm-hmm. data is actually really valuable, right? Because you basically like rejected a submission or you didn't clear a submission that has a ton of market data in it that could tell you like what's going in on in a certain line of business like what's going on geographically, right? And they could influence different decisions or you could start thinking about like ways to create products that are embedded in your services. Meaning like, hey, I'm seeing like this trend like here, right? In this like particular like line of business geographically, like what can that tell me? Or is am I rejecting a lot of business because I don't actually have that type of LOB stood up yet, right? And it's like, well, how much am I seeing? Like, I think cyber is a really good example here. Like a lot of large ins- insurers or carriers were rejecting cyber and then they were like, it had they had the data like earlier on, they would have said like, oh, wow, there's a lot of cyber coming in. Maybe I should think about investing in that line of business, right? Because like, I'm seeing a trend up, but they were a little bit too late because they didn't have that data that would suggest to them there was something going in the market where you might want to underrate like cyber as a risk. This should, this goes back to, we, we talk about it a lot of the insurance industry is sitting on so much data and it's their inability to access it to then, to your point, Brandy, activate that data to make their business decisions, like to, to go after a new geography, to go after a new line of business, or uh, to your point, to reduce their exposure in a line of business. If, you know, depending on, on how, on how their decision, uh, you know, workflow is, is going and, and what they want to refine. I, yeah. Could you imagine yeah. like, if like a carrier could say to you in a second, like, Oh, all of our Marine risk is like sitting in like one geo then they might be like, that's probably not good, right? Like we probably need Marine a little bit more like spread out. So, but like, I think right now, like it's really hard for them to do that because they split out by LOB and GO. So I think there's like, there's a lot they could be doing just from that standpoint, but that's even just still like just capturing the required fields to like quote the business. But what about all the other data, right? That's like sitting in these submissions, like, Think, think about if you could capture like 200, 300 fields and like all those fields could like tell you something or they could create something in the market that that would disrupt. I think that's those are the things we start like encouraging our customers on. We have implicitly talked about three 
different types of metrics at least, and I want to make them explicit. So we've talked about cost. We've talked about, um, you know, creating capacity, so upside. Um, and then we've also talked implicitly about risk. What do you see, particularly, in, I'm actually interested in this question for both of you, because I don't know. Um, what are what are folks in the insurance industry prioritizing right now? And in what order do they start thinking about the other metrics if they ever get there? Yeah, I can start because Michelle probably has like a broader view of the market than I do. Um, I would say, you know, like revenue is also uh, gross premiums written is also another one that's really important in the insurance space. Um, loss ratios are really important. I hear about them all the time right now. Um, but I think, you know, like you think about like, what we're talking about here is like operational efficiencies to drive what operational efficiencies to drive scale. So most insurance carriers, if you talk to them, they, they can't even get to every submission that's hitting their inbox today to clear or know if they should quote or not quote it. Right. So like, what does that mean? It means it's really like a first in first out or a, this is the first one I saw first out situation, right? So really what they're doing is they're they're just looking at the things they can get to versus in a world where you have like technology enabling like those processes, you could actually like look at every submission that hits that inbox and know if you should respond or not. So what does that mean? Well, that means you could clear more business. You could quote more business. You could find more business, which means like your gross written premiums go up and your loss ratio should go down because again, like you have your preparers turning into reviewers on that data to ensure that you're, you're writing the right risk. Um, so that's like, that's the revenue driver, I would say, um, for most of these carriers that we're working with. To your question of like, where are they starting? Like what's going on in the market? What I'm seeing is like the underwriting workbench is like top of mind right now for most of the carriers we work with. So it's not just how do I intake this data and really like ingest it in like an efficient way as quickly as possible. So that way I can respond because usually the carrier that responds first is the one that wins is what we've been told meaning like they're the one that they're the ones that end up binding the business so i think you know for them it's like how can i ingest it quickly and how can i respond quickly um so those are like and how can i get to all of it right so like those are like the biggest things but then there's like a decision engine that sits under it so what what i'm seeing with most of our customers is they're really investing heavily into underwriting workbenches to help drive those decisions. So you've got a tool that's taking it in, you've got a tool that's helping like drive the decisions to to then really like fulfill like that, that side of the house. The second area that I'm seeing most of our insurance customers go into is then like the claim side. So like talking about FNOL and like, what does that do? Well, it makes your customers sticky, right? So like you want to talk about, then you're coming back to underwriting, right? Like, that business has to renew. And like, if you weren't like on top of it, when it comes to like processing their claims, do you think they're really going to want to renew with you? Like the answer is no. Right. So now that's like the second phase that I'm starting to see is really around claims. And then like, we talk a lot about policy servicing now is like really the third, like kind of like tranche you're seeing them go after. I don't know, Michelle, what you're seeing, but that's, 
It's really what I'm seeing right now with our insurance customers. Yeah, Brent, I, I think you're spot on. I think uh, you hit on the claims pieces, which is what I wanted to hit on too. That that first in, first out, or that triaging the claim as it comes in is an area of focus too, to say, uh, if you do an analysis to say, uh, what what is missing from this? What do we have to go back out to do? Is this claim similar to others? Can we, are we, do we know we're just going to pay it? Like, can we automate that process? Because it's, you know, something that we, we always pay out. Does it need an adjuster to really take a look at it? Is it something that we need to look at sooner because it's more complex and therefore will take more time uh, to, you know, to, to adjudicate and get through the process. So that from the claim side, I think depending on, you were spot on with, um, you know, the, the intake side, I think that also, this is, Chris's favorite thing to hear me say, it depends on, on the product and the line of business because, um, you know, the goal for um, automating an intake process from, you know, if you're writing in the middle market commercial space is um, how, how do I automate what's in the email into, into my system versus something that's a little bit more straight through or streamlined or like a personalized submission or even a, a small commercial insurance submission of, here's all the data. Now, how do I just get that into the system without someone having to manually enter that? Or, um, you know, how do I supplement that with data that double checks or validates that all of the information on that submission is accurate to then enable that straight through processing that they're all trying to, you know, to, to get through so that they can spend time doing the more complex um, an analysis and assessment on some of those more difficult risks. Um, and I think too, depending on, on where you sit in either of those workflows or those line of business, th that will drive the metric that you care about and the business outcome that you care about, right? I, I think I think it's it's time. So um, the reduction in time that it takes to assess what's coming in, but then also um, how how do people spend their time? So are they spending their time? Can we reduce the manual process of this, you know, from ninety percent manual entry to be 40% manual entry and the rest is is an analytics work or analysis that's being done to determine if, if we want to write this risk. Um, so we're I think we're seeing a lot of the same things. We, we're just seeing it probably from a broader variety of, um, you know, carriers and geographies in terms of um, how they all, how they all think about it differently. Because yeah. they all have different channels too, right? Like, we, we talked about this digital channels where that information is coming in the email, the, the broker, the agent portal that's connected in to the carrier via some APIs. Um, it, you know, you can, there's a lot of different ways that that information is coming in and then being used internally. Um, I think too, sorry, now I'm just ranting, but you made a great point about uh, the renewal process. And yeah. I think what's really interesting too is that the point you made earlier about that data that comes in that gets rejected is just sitting there and it's lost. There's no like view to say from an underwriter usually to say, oh, this risk came in last year and we, we didn't and we rejected it. And so you're usually that's an added cost because you you don't you don't have that that view to say we, we've already looked at this. You're probably re, you know, doing another data call on that same risk that you did a year ago uh, to potentially get to the same outcome. And so now you've wasted uh, dollars in terms of, of data acquisition and data validation. You've wasted uh, dollars and time in terms of 
effort by an underwriter to look at that potentially for something that was never going to get underwritten again. Um, so having that that feedback loop would be huge in reduction of of um, time and effort. Yeah, no, totally. I totally agree. Um, I want to pick on personal lines for a minute with you, Michelle. So um, what I'm hearing is like really two themes. So I want to see if you're hearing the same and what your thoughts are on it. So the first theme is um, all around the contact center. So what I've hmm. heard is, or like customer service, what I've heard is the contact center basically went from phones to chat, but nothing's really changed. So like, that's one theme I'm hearing. And then the other theme I'm hearing, you know, I've asked uh, many people in the personal line space and like, like, what's your dream? Like, if you could just like map out, like, this would be my dream scenario for a personal lines carrier, what would it be? And what I hear is, we would like to be proactive versus reactive, meaning we already know that our customer has suffered a loss and we're already processing their claims before they tell us. So I wonder, one, if you're hearing those themes and two, like in the market that like would solve that or any any sort of noise around those two themes or if you're seeing anything different. Um. Definitely hearing a lot of of interest in in both of those categories. They are two very different uh, challenges or things to solve for. Um, I think on the the call center side, absolutely um, heard a desire for a lot of capabilities and solutions to come in. I agree with you that calling the call center is less so about the like interaction on the phone and it's a lot of how much can we triage up front via via a chatbot or ai um the challenge being that um you're really still just getting the level one type of answers and responses and it's really just um like someone said the other day is like when, when you're calling if you just have a question that you you know a person could answer in in, in five seconds but you have to go through three rounds of a chatbot to say, no, you still haven't answered my question. No, you still haven't answered my question. Now I want to talk to somebody. That's even more frustrating than waiting to talk to somebody because you've now wasted three or four cycles of, of that. Um, and so from a call center capability, how do you how do you quickly identify what the challenge is? How do you how do you get a response that's more informative than just a like I've Googled this answer, right? Mm -hmm. And and it's here. Um, and so what are the capabilities that we're seeing are things that, how do you take that information in? How do you pull in, like pull out the right information so that you can generate the, the right responses. And then it's some of those metrics we've talked about time to response, accuracy of response. Um, and then some of those, you know, post call or post conversation surveys, how do you collect that data to then bring that back in and improve the overall customer experience? Um, on the on the let's be proactive, not reactive side, uh, there's a lot of of noise around that, and it talks to uh, all of these solutions that you've seen. Also, on the personal line side, like the geospatial solutions. So, how do you know? How how can you be uh, a resource to say, uh, you know, there's there's a hailstorm coming. These are the things that you should do to protect your home. The hailstorm has come. It looks like you may have roof damage, 
right? Here, here's how someone we can get out there to assess that damage, or we've we have the data and the analytics to say we know that your roof was damaged, and we have already estimated that uh, because we've got drone imagery, because we we have you know you know analysis and data that say this is what it would cost. Here's here's the payout for you. Um, a lot of those those pre-automated things are are definitely uh, solutions that that we've seen entrepreneurs trying to bring bring to the industry. Yeah, so you're spot on. Awesome. That's exciting. I love living in the future. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I, I had a question though about the submissions process, just because I know how I have some sense of how human brains work. Are people really just taking the top of their inbox or are they like looking ahead emails and saying, you know what, that one I'm probably going to quote that one. I'm not going to quote. I'm skipping it. Like, is this happening or people actually are just mindlessly opening up one email after another? I only can assume because I'm not in it every day and what I hear, but I, what I hear most of the time is it's like a first in first out. Um, Sometimes it's the last in first out. Right. So I think it just, they're really just trying to get to as much as they can. But the thing is, is like, like first in, first out, last in, first out, you don't know if those are the ones you should be looking at, right? Like those may all be like rejects. So like, that's like the biggest problem is like, as these submissions are coming in, to Michelle's point earlier, even around triaging, like how do we triage them immediately, right? Because there's likely submissions that you would reject like from the get-go. like. There's no way you would ever like write that. How there are also like uh, submissions that are like just totally in your wheelhouse, right? And it's like this is an easy risk. Like we don't really need an underwriter to like spend a ton of time on this. Like kind of rubber stamp it. Like send it out. It's ready to go. But then there are others that are a little bit more complex, right? So like there's definitely like triaging that I think the insurance space will start having because they'll be able to like intake and ingest this data like better than they have been previously. Yeah. And like, this is a, yeah, go ahead. No, I was like, Chris, this is not, uh, this is not from the underwriting space, but when I, when I worked at travelers, my role in the agency operations space was um, to appoint agents to, to on behalf of travelers to write business. Right. So that required checking that they had state licenses, figuring out what line of business they wanted to write and then appointing them with with, with those things, right? And there was a, a number of other work things that we did, like changing their name and, and things like that. And to, to your point, we would get those things assigned to us and it would be, you know, one, one application come in and say, I only need to be appointed in the state of Connecticut. Easy, five minute work effort done. But I don't know if the next work stream that comes in is someone asking to be appointed in all 50 states. And that's a lot more work effort, right? And so that might have been the first one in, but if it's if it's going to take me two hours versus five minutes, I'm I probably and I don't have two hours, I'm probably going to wait. Right. And so that then it it lingers a little bit. And um I presume that from an underwriting standpoint, you triage in a similar fashion of this is something that I can you know, quick and easy get out. I have, you know, half an hour left. That's what I can do versus something that says I need, I need to do data calls. I need to validate that this information is correct. I need to go, you know, if it's a multi-line, you know, quote that's come in, I need to go validate this with, with my colleague underwriter that does that line of business. Um, so there's, there's challenges there. So what, how can you automate some of that? How can you identify up front? How do you maybe as a result of that, 
pick where that goes based on expertise or time so that um, it can get done uh, in the most efficient way possible. Yeah, the the decision scientist voice in my head is asking, like, do you actually have to open up every bit of data or is there some minimal set of things that will tell you, like, you know what, this is a waste of time anyway. Don't even don't even bother processing the whole thing or at least put it in a batch later for analytics. Right. And store it. But that's probably a whole other podcast or product or something. Well, and like the like the example Michelle just had, the one that she put on the side because it would have taken two hours, like may have been the most valuable to the to the enterprise, right? And like that's like, and then you just put that to the side because you didn't have time for it, right? Yeah. I think Brandon, there's been a, a ton of really great nuggets in here, I think, for for people that are wanting to, you know understand how to run a pilot, what are the important things, a lot for them to think about. And also for those trying to sell into an enterprise, what's the message? What's the, how do you promote, uh, you know, what your product can do to the right people to to get something off the ground? So um, a lot, a lot to chew on here. And as Chris just pointed out, we've probably got a whole list of things that could be their own episodes. Uh, so, so many topics coming out of this that we could just dive into, you know? So many. We'll have to have you back. Um, but thank you. Thanks for, for joining Chris and I today. It was great to have you. This has been another episode of Unstructure Unlocked. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Unstructured Unlocked. You can find all of our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts today. Spotify, Apple, everywhere. Be sure to follow at Indico Data on Twitter and YouTube. Have a good day, Automator.